This is Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper, Indiana, and I'm Pastor Dan, and over here on my left is my daughter Bethany, who is helping me help you to understand and interpret this fantastic book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. We are at chapter 13. This is episode 14. It's being recorded on... May the 19th at about 4.15 in the afternoon. So, Bethany, you ready to get into this? Mm -hmm. We are down to the second to last chapter of the book. The penultimate chapter. Penultimate. Isn't that a good one? Do you know I was talking to your younger brother on the phone yesterday, (laughs) and he used the word robust in a sentence. He's growing. You know, he's growing up. Our little boy's growing up. He's evolving. You know? I'm so impressed. So, you know, you pen, know, penultimate coming from you isn't that big a deal, <laughs> but if he'd have used penultimate in a sentence, I'd have been impressed. You know where I learned penultimate? <laughs> the Lemony Snicket series. <laughs> because the last book in the series, book 13, because of course, because it's a series of unfortunate events, Yes, is called The End, but the book before that is called the penultimate peril i think and that's where i learned what penultimate meant you know if if you're impressed with someone's vocabulary and you ask them how they got to have such a big vocabulary it's really simple they were just curious enough to look up the word and because that's me or use the context clues and smartphones and google have improved my vocabulary considerably because Mm. when i come across a word i'll say you know hey Siri, what does that mean? You know, and, and my problem is that all the vocabulary that I have learned over the years, I've mostly learned by reading it in my head. Yeah, and so sometimes I have to have like Google or Siri pronounce a word right. out loud for me because I don't actually know what it sounds like out loud. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know what it means. It's those French words are particularly troubling. Oh yeah, you know. it's uh, true. They're rough. So, this is chapter 13, and uh, second to last chapter, and we are going to come back to a character we met Mm -hmm. in the previous chapter, a couple of characters. Uh, The beautiful Sarah, who is continuing to talk to her husband, Frank, who is a dwarf being held on a chain by his uh, ego, basically, Mm -hmm. which is this tragedian, tragedian... Uh, self-important, super serious, you know, overly dramatic drama queen, basically. I picture, I picture him having, you know, like the Greek um, masks? Yeah. I picture him having the, the tragedy mask. There you go. So, Lewis is, is our, our protagonist. You know, he's the guy sort of telling the story, and he is being guided by his hero, George MacDonald. Mm-hmm. And so he asks McDonald, he says, you know, uh, he says, uh, how the blessed in heaven can be happy if they know their loved ones are in hell, cut off from every happiness. And uh, basically what McDonald says is all hell is smaller than one pebble of your earthly world. But it is smaller than one atom of this world, the real world. And so, again, Lewis is saying that, you know, where we are and what we think we are isn't as real as where we're going and what we're becoming. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 
first discussion question is, as Frank tries to keep the from laughing out loud because his beautiful bride, Sarah, has become just tickled by his drama. Mm-hmm. And he becomes aware of the absurdity of the tragedian, you know, that, that, that this character is comical in his, in his ridiculous self-importance. And even Frank is seeing that and kind of has a problem. He can't help himself laughing. So mm-hmm. he jerks the chain and begins screaming, you dare to laugh at it? And blames Sarah for his going back to hell. So what's Sarah's response? So, she is. She like she says like no that's not really how it works we're not sending you back we won't send you back here like everything here is trying to get you to stay yeah so there's no sending back there's going back because it, it like basically it seems to me what she's saying is it's on you. Mm-hmm. Everything we're offering you here is joy. Like we're trying, like ev- we're doing everything we can to get you to stay. We're not going to send you back. You are going to choose, and you might choose to go back. And there's sort of a classic Christian explanation for what it will take for him to stay. Mm-hmm. What would that be? He has to set aside his pride. So he has to die. Yeah. I mean, he has to he has let to go. to die to self. Yeah. I mean, basically, that, that alter ego has to die. Yeah. Um, he has to, which is why it's freaking out. Right. Um, kind of like when the lizard is whispering in the guy's ear. Because it knows what's coming. Um, but yeah, like, basically, if he wants to experience true joy, which is what she's offering, he has to be willing to say goodbye to the alter ego and like you said die to self basically so let's look at scripture we we didn't get to the scriptures as much in the last episode as i would have preferred so let's really do better at that this time james 1 verses 2 to 4 Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Hmm. So, how is it possible to experience joy in the midst of a painful, difficult situation like bankruptcy, cancer, losing a child, and... How can both joy and pain exist together? Mm, that's a really tough question. Um, I think, well, like I know our study author, he says um, it's important to remember that joy is not the same as happiness. Right. Which is a really, I think, like, there's lots to be built on with this question, but I think that is the key. Um, and joy, I, you know... The Apostle Paul says that the, it all comes down to three basic qualities, faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, they all have a common core. Mm-hmm. You know, faith is, is believing about things that haven't yet happened. And hope is, is, is like living in the promise of those things. And joy, I think, is the consequence or the outcome, mm-hmm. you know. And, and joy is not 
uh, laughing about your bad circumstances. Joy is knowing that this isn't how it's always going yes. to be. Yeah. Well, like, I was not happy to find out that my grandpa was not on Earth anymore. Right. But I could rejoice that he was in heaven and that I'm going to see him again. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, joy, joy is knowing that there's, that there is an end to the suffering. Um, and so your frame of mind is built from faith. Yeah. And it gives you hope and that gives you joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all sounds like a formula, but, but it's your faith that makes you have hope. Yeah. And it's your hope that gives you joy. Mm-hmm. That even though I'm grieving because I'm not going to see him again here, I believe I'm going to see him again. And not only that, but when I see him again, he's going to be a better version of himself. Yeah. And so will I. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much. And that's the way you would look about not only the death of a loved one, but if you were looking at your financial status or whatever, if you were in financial straits, you're bankrupt, you know, you're whatever, is it doesn't have to be this way always. And while you may not have all the comforts you once had, you're alive and you have more to do, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's more to your living than just that. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah. So... I want to look at a few passages here, two from 1 Thessalonians and two from Hebrews, and uh, they're passages about joy, and then after we read one, we'll answer a question and then read the next one. So 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So where does joy come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So what is the difference between giving thanks for our circumstances and giving thanks in our circumstances? Mm-hmm. Huge difference. Giving thanks for your circumstances versus giving thanks in your circumstances means, like, it's easy to give thanks for good circumstances. It's not easy to give thanks for bad circumstances, but you can give thanks in all circumstances. Exactly. So Hebrews 10.34 You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So why did they uh, accept their suffering and have joy? Because earth stuff don't matter. That's right. It all fades away. And Hebrews 12, too. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But why did Jesus endure the shame and scorn of the cross? Because he knew what was coming next. There you go. So Sarah begs Frank to stop using pity in the wrong way and offers him love and kindness and the opportunity for a true joy, but not pity. So what does Psalm 72.13 and Luke 10.33 say? Psalm says, He will take pity on the weak and the needy and save the needy from death. Luke 10.33 says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So when could pity be an appropriate emotion to show? When someone else is in need. Yeah. When when you see suffering, mm-hmm. and you're motivated to do something about it. Yeah, so, when, it's, when it's 
yeah, when it's for, like, I don't like when people say they pity someone else because that they don't like that person. Well, there you go, you know, because that's the next question. Oh. <laughs> What's the difference between feeling sorry for someone and when does it pity become a dangerous thing? Well, th- I think that's when it, because it's, because when you say you pity someone because you don't like them and the, what they're doing, then you have taken a wrong turn because all of a sudden you're, you're like pushing that emotion on that person and in a, kind of an evil way. Well, like, oh, oppression. Yeah. You oh, know, I pity of, them my, for the way they act. Like, I yeah. don't, y- I can dislike something about someone. You're you're oppressing them with an air of superiority. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really what it is. It's kind of like the whole shame thing. Yeah. Um, but I think pity is altogether. It, well, okay, so it's it's basically pity in the form of superiority or pity in the form of empathy. Yeah. Pity in the form of empathy is a good thing. Sure. Because if you're like the Samaritan, you see somebody in trouble and you pity him. It's so, it's also pity with or without action, basically. So pity without action is kind of offensive. You know, in and the pity or- with action is empathy. In the original Star Trek series from the '60s, probably one of the most Christian messages they ever had in one of their episodes was when uh, Spock and Kirk and and Doctor McCoy are captured and taken to this place where this mute woman is able to through empathy mm-hmm. take away their pain mm-hmm. own it for herself for a little while and then after she's experienced it she can let it go mm-hmm. and so this is all some alien experiment to see how much she's willing to endure for the sake of another mm-hmm. and it's yeah you know and there's even a part in the episode where Dr. McCoy is strung out like he's on a cross. Yeah. And she takes his torture upon herself at great personal cost. Mm-hmm. And the experimenters declare this a success. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty Christian. And so what's it all about? It's empathy. Why did Jesus yeah. do what he did? It was for love of the Father, but it was also as an act of compassion towards us, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, so I think I think pity without action is just nasty because mm-hmm. it's pity in the form of, like you said, oppression and superiority. But pity that creates action for the good of someone else is empathy, mm-hmm. which is one of the most important, like, at least by human standards, I cannot like all the all those like kindness slogans out there are awesome, but kindness is nothing without action too. Empathy is kindness in action. Feeling such feeling someone else's pain in such a way that it spurs you to do something for them, which is what I hear this pity as. So pity with action is empathy. All right. So now that brings us to a difficult question. Okay. So, determined to be joyless, Frank is consumed by the tragedian (laughs) who vanishes in Sarah's bright presence. As Sarah leaves, Lewis asks how Sarah can be untouched by Frank's damnation. What does McDonald say in response? I gotta find that page now. 
Ugh. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That's all right. I mean, I could say I've read the book a few times, and I should be able to give an answer, but honestly. <laughs> I know. Sometimes you have to dial up the page, when, it, especially when it asks, like, what specifically someone says. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. That's because the other thing we got to ask then is after we hear what McDonald says, then the question is, is how would you respond after you watched a loved one choose hell over heaven? Well, (laughs) I don't know how I, well, I mean, I guess maybe I would just need to get away from that. You know, like she, she leaves and I get that. Like, because she just expended a lot of energy trying. I mean, I, I would think that but, even in heaven there would be a certain amount of disappointment. But mm-hmm. there's also no guilt, no shame. There's no, like, she just said that she didn't need him in order to be happy. But she loved him. Yeah, and I think there's got to be, I mean, if you just look at stories from the Bible, God is... I don't, I don't like putting, like, human emotions on God, but, like, God is disappointed and sad when well, when somebody chooses a different direction. I know. think it's in Galatians. It says that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. So, obviously, God feels grief, mm-hmm. um, and God feels wrath and anger. You know, so it's, I mean, it's like, I would assume that even as our heavenly even in heaven, we would feel negative emotions, but they wouldn't define us. Yeah. Uh, they wouldn't oppress us. I mean, yeah, I would think there would be some disappointment because because if they didn't care, then, then all of these spirit guides, all of these people close to the ones visiting from the gray town wouldn't bother to come. And you get the impression from some of the other chapters that it's some distance for them to come out to this, like edge of heaven so they must care a lot so I would think there yeah it wouldn't define her but she'd be sad so she goes away grieved but at the same time not being you know it's kind of like the survivor syndrome you know people who survive a situation that others especially people close to them do not go through a terrible problem of feeling like, why didn't they, you know, why not them? And did, should they have done more? And, you know, gosh, I've lost pets and felt guilty for a day or two about whether I could have done more to help them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we all have that tendency. I would have to think that the one thing Sarah can say is, is I did all I could to help him. And I'm sad that he didn't take yeah. what I gave him and didn't take what God's giving him and do what he could have done. Yeah. And so she's sad about that, but she's not saddled with all the grief and the shame and the sorrow and the sadness and the self-doubt and the shame and all of that. That that would probably be. Yeah. So so Lewis um, Lewis wonders out loud uh, that. Sarah didn't go down to hell to visit Frank and, you know, why she didn't go down there. And she could have at least gone to the bus stop to see him off. And what does McDonald say in reply? 
to why the bright spirits don't pursue their loved ones. And I do love this because we've talked about this in earlier episodes. I love what McDonald says because this is that part where McDonald says, wait a minute. Let's get down on our hands and knees. I'll show you why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he basically has Jack get get down really close to the grass and points at an itty bitty little crack in the dirt. Um, And like I picture like when it hasn't rained for a while. Yeah. And you just see little cracks everywhere. But he points out this little crack in the dirt and says, like, all of hell's contained in that crack. Yeah. Which means you guys had to get bigger. Well, you got on the bus and you had to get bigger to come here. Spirits are huge. They can't be contained and come down to visit because they can't fit into that teeny tiny little crack because heaven is way more immense than hell ever will be. It's sort of a, uh, I think it's a, a, a Lewisian way of portraying a truth about the question that an atheist would ask. Is this all there is? Mm-hmm. And as a convert from being an atheist to a Christian, he's saying, oh no, mm-hmm. this is not all there is. In fact, this isn't even a scratch on the surface of all there is. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that's what I think he's saying is, is the worst thing about an atheist is, is they actually believe this is as good as it gets. Yeah. This is all there is. And so his response is, is, oh, my gosh. You know, and it's sort of a way of saying if you take yourself too seriously, this is how insignificant you are up against God's economy, God's, God's creation, you know. Well, it's kind of like, like we humans can understand the expansiveness of the universe to a certain extent and then they can't understand it anymore. So it's like you're saying those in hell are limited by their humanness. Yeah. And those that have that are in heaven are no longer limited by that, so they're huge. And so McDonald says to Lewis, they can't go there, mm-hmm. but there is one, with a capital O, who had the power to make himself small enough to descend into hell. <laughs> Read First Peter 3, 18 to 20. For Christ also suffered, suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. Ephesians 4, 8 to 10. This is why it says, when he ascends on high, he took many captives. When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So, do you think Jesus spent the day after his death preaching in hell? <laughs> I've never actually thought about it that way, but there, the whole him going to talk to those imprisoned pre-Ark is intriguing, um, because, well, I mean, I get, could they be in, like, Sheol? 
rather than... You know, I've had this idea because, and, and we're supposed to talk about plausible explanations. <laughs> so I happen to have had some experience offering plausible explanations for people who have said, you know, so what about, you know, uh, some Amazonian tribe that's deep, you know, in the forest and nobody's ever encountered them and they've never heard the gospel or, and, and, and then I've always thought, you know, there are so many people who go to church who really don't know the gospel. Um, they've been taught a form of the gospel, but it's not the real gospel. And there are people who die and they have a church funeral and a preacher and a priest and, and all their loved ones say, well, now they're in heaven and I have to scratch my head and wonder, mm-hmm. you know. And I think about all of that and I always come to the same conclusion, you know. I believe that God is so entirely just that when God says, have you really met my son? Because if you've met him and you've rejected him, then there's really nothing more for us to talk about. But if you've never really met him, then I'm going to give you a chance to meet him Mm -hmm. and see who he is and understand what he's all about for you. And, and, you know, so I can't prove this, but my plausible explanation is, is that there were people who uh, were not devoted to Satan and were not entirely opposed to God for a variety of reasons. And Jesus kind of brought everybody up to the same moment in the story Mm -hmm. and then from there forward we have a choice to make Mm -hmm. and so and yeah uh, yeah you know and and so that's in fact you and i are going to be doing um the wednesday night class on the letter to sardis yeah and you know his grief with sardis in the letter in revelation is basically that they know the truth but they don't live it they did you know they're they're they've been told the truth but they don't live it and Mm -hmm. and you know there's a threat you know i don't want to give spoilers you'll have to tune in (laughs) for that one but there's a threat but what is the threat yeah because if they're the church then it means that they've become Christians, at least in some form or another, but there is a threat. And it turns out the Apostle Paul says, well, Jesus is going to judge those Christians. He, he's going to, you know, you're, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be uh, free from, you're going to be excused from the great white throne judgment where God casts judgment upon the people. But, but there's going to come and I think that's the place where people who never knew Jesus are going to meet him for the first time. And God's going to say, this is the last chance for everybody. And the question is, is do you understand where you are and who my son is? Hey, this one, you won't spoil because this one won't come out until after. That's true. So it's not a spoiler. Really. I forgot we were recording this, but gosh. <laughs> So anyway, you'll yeah. be you'll be better prepared to understand if you have listened to or watched our podcast or our <laughs> video cast. So so anyway, I you know, so what's the plausible explanation? I think Jesus basically is being introduced to people who don't know him, but they have also not been in some way or another so devoted to Satan or so opposed to God, which is essentially the same thing. So is it fair to say that another plausible explanation is that because we have evidence... Okay, let me back up. We have evidence 
of Christ in the Old Testament. Like, Jesus shows up a couple of times. At least we're pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so is it fair to say that because we know that the Trinity exists outside of human space and time, that that he could have also talked to those imprisoned, like, in their own time? Mm-hmm witness to them then and so maybe some of the ones that didn't make it in through the flood still made it to heaven because they had heard from Jesus so they were still swept up in the flood waters but mm-hmm. saved from the water because they made it to heaven yeah yeah I mean I don't know I don't know either <laughs> I don't know Okay, so McDonald says all loneliness, angers, hatreds, envies, and itchings Mm -hmm. that it contains, if rolled into one single experience and put into a scale against the latest moment of joy that is felt by the least in heaven, Mm -hmm. would have no weight that could be registered at all. So how does the how does that shape your perspective of of uh, on evil and suffering experienced in this world? That it's nothing compared to the joy that follows. Or it yeah. shouldn't be. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, it, it's all about scale, which he's already kind of illustrated. Yeah. So then it seems like then that McDonald is emphasizing humanity's free will, which is a belief that it's your own choice that determines your destiny. And uh, he's saying that over universalism, which is a belief that all will be saved in the end, Mm -hmm. and predestination, which is a belief that God has planned man's ultimate fate. So Mm -hmm. God is omnipotent, and God knows what we are about to do because uh, because to him, we already did it. But there, there is no before or during or after time for God. So how does the fact that God sees all points... Uh, in time impact your understanding of your free will and God's sovereignty? Well, that's a heavy question. Well, but I think it just goes back to our conversation about time when we were reading Mere Christianity. And Mr. Vermillier basically gave us the answer, I think, within the question because God exists outside of time. So, do we have free will? Yeah. Because if I choose to drink my soda instead of my water, I'm choosing it in real time, and it's happening in real time for God, too, but it's a separate kind of time. So, a choice I made last year, he's experiencing now, and last year, and tomorrow. So... One of it's the hardest, still, yeah. One of the hardest things to wrap your mind around is is that if God exists outside of time and space, there's nothing linear about God, right? Which means that God can be at the same time present to you when you were six months old and present to you when you are sixty years old, and always at the same time, mm-hmm. because there is no time. <laughs> so we can't even say things like at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, the entirety of who you are is before God. Yeah. So we are still we still have free will. We're still able to choose between infinite possibilities. And he's not 
navigating that for us. He just sees it all happening all, all. Like yeah. So glad I'm not God. I know. <laughs> Thank goodness multiverses are just a really cool sciency idea and not for real. Because I'd be really glad that I wasn't God if that was for real. Yeah, you know, there's a lot about science fiction that brings clarity even to Christian thought and biblical Judeo-Christian thought. Mm-hmm. But there are also certain things in science fiction that are perhaps intentionally uh, in opposition to biblical Judeo-Christian thought. You know, um, but just talking about that... Uh, episode of Star Trek, you know, Gene Roddenberry, you know, if you look at his life, I mean, he he had relationship problems and a lot of other things, but if you look at his life, you'll also find out that he had a very dramatic life, Um, a lot of near-death experiences, and I could go on and on, and, and, and I'm not trying to apologize for him, but but he was also a person who came out of World War II as a part of that very patriotic Christian culture that existed after World War II and doesn't surprise me that a lot of his themes were Christian in orientation. Mm -hmm. But these days, there's a lot of science fiction. Well, it was true even before World War II. Uh, I think we just had a a kind of a a blip in, in human, in American history and Western history where we were pretty thankful that, you know, we won and survived World War II, and so we decided that God really must think an awful lot of us, and that lasted for a little while. But then we kind of went back to the normal human condition, mm-hmm. which is vanity, pride, what I call Egyptian or Greek thought. But Okay, we got it. We did Chapter 13, and mm-hmm. now we are set to go to the next episode and the next chapter, which will be the last. Yep. And it will be the last for a little while because we're going to take a little summer break. And so you can listen to our reruns or whatever, but you'll get announcements and things when we go back online. And, you know, in the meantime, if you have ideas for things you'd like us to cover, you could be sending them to us because we'll have time over our summer break to uh, think about that. Mm-hmm. And you can influence our decision of what you'd like us to talk about. We we thought maybe it's probably time to do something other than a C.S. Lewis book because we're kind of infatuated with him and you guys might be getting tired of that. So, But anyway, maybe we do. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, you tell us. But There's loads of books in the catalog. That's right. Well, thank you for listening and remember that we love to hear from you. Contact us. Pretty much anything you need to know to get started with communicating with us or anything else is to... Uh, just go to Shiloh Jasper, S-H-I-L-O-H-J-A-S-P-E-R, all one word, dot org, Jasper, shilohjasper.org. And from that page, you can pretty much navigate to everything uh, that might help you to know us. In fact, you can even now, on the front page, tune into our live podcast, or broadcast, rather, our, <laughs> our live video from YouTube, because I've got cool. it connected now. I just did it today. Nice. So now, when you go to our our front page of shilohjasper.org you can click on worship online live with us here and you click on that and it's happening of course assuming we're live at the time otherwise it'll be directed to the last recording so anyway glad to know you thanks for being a part of this with us we love you we wish you well 
and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.